With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and... Starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Saishin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. And I'm Ada Shen in Paris. First, our weekly review of business stories from Caixin. Bad news. The deaths of over 100 goats that ate spring onions exposed to a highly toxic pesticide have triggered a public outcry over the lack of regulations curbing the overuse of such chemicals in the country. A video circulating online showed white foam congealed on the dead goats' mouths, with a handful of the animals struggling on the ground in a barn. The goats belong to a farmer who lives in the city of Shouguang in Shandong province. 80 of the farmer's 298 goats have died. The farmer said that the animals died within a few hours on the morning of August 24th after eating spring onion leaves he had bought from a local vegetable reseller. Other farmers in the area also complained that their goats have died. All had allegedly bought feedstock from the same vendor. Shouguang is a major vegetable wholesale hub in China that supplies fruits and vegetables to big cities including Beijing and Shanghai. The Shouguang city government confirmed on its official WeChat account that the deaths were caused by a banned chemical detected in the spring onions. It said that more than 55,000 pounds of the pesticide were sealed and destroyed. The goat video went viral on Chinese social media and triggered a public outcry about the overuse of pesticides and lack of regulation on how the substances are used and sold. Small, unlicensed pesticide producers scattered across the country are reportedly putting a huge strain on regulators. Most of the country's 250 million small farmers rely on these factories in remote areas for their supplies. A farmer at China Agricultural University told Caixin that weed killers or insecticides are often overused in China because farmers don't have the proper tools or enough knowledge on how to mix or dilute different chemicals and believe their effects would be stronger if used in concentrated doses. A smash hit mobile video game sweeping China has found its youngest fan to date in a one-month-old girl in the interior city of Xi'an. But this particular baby girl probably hasn't learned how to play Honor of Kings just yet. Instead, she has formally become one of the first babies in China to be named after the popular game's original Mandarin title, Wang Zhirongyao. News of the game ignited the usual flurry of discussion on the internet, with some gamers supporting the choice while others questioned, giving the girl a label that already sounds strange and can quickly become outdated when the game's popularity inevitably fades. 
Since its launch online by gaming giant Tencent, Honor of Kings has become a massive success and a social phenomenon by combining team play with mobile gaming. The title has been a huge moneymaker for Tencent, bringing in $1 billion US dollars in revenue last year alone. It now has about 200 million active users, about a quarter of those who play daily. But the game has also garnered complaints from parents about addiction, prompting Tencent to limit minors to two hours of play per day. It has also drawn criticism from influential sources, including the People's Daily, the official newspaper of the Communist Party, over its addictive nature. The mother said that they were already calling the girl by her nickname, Rongyao, meaning honor, and added that the baby's two grandmothers didn't oppose the choice. Everything in our home is decided by my husband, she said. I don't have any objections. Alibaba, the operator of China's largest online sales platform, is reportedly building its own mall as it seeks to enrich the real-world shopping experience with technology and convenience. The five-story shopping center, which the company is calling More Mall, is located at Alibaba headquarters in the eastern city of Hangzhou. The mall is being built on a 40,000-square-meter plot of land and is scheduled to open next April. Currently, construction crews are finishing up work on the building's interior. This year marked the start of what Alibaba is calling a new retail era, a phrase the firm has seeded in its announcement. In essence, it's a strategy to blend online, offline, logistics, and data units across a single value chain, founder Jack Ma said back in February. Under the initiative, Alibaba is moving fast into online spaces to attempt to remake traditional retail, including launching unmanned convenience stores and bringing big data technology to a million mom-and-pop stores across China. It's check-in time at Beijing's luxury hotels. The guests? Health inspectors. Beijing authorities are launching hygiene checks at the city's five-star hotels after a social media post accusing well-known establishments in the capital of cleanliness breaches went viral. Landmay Test, which describes itself as an independent review organization, published a WeChat post last week alleging that the Intercontinental Beijing Sanlitun, the Hilton Beijing, W Beijing Chang'an, JW Marriott Beijing, and Shangri-La Hotel Beijing had all failed to properly clean hotel rooms between guest stays. Inspired by tests conducted abroad by U.S. publication, landmay inspectors marked sheets and bathroom surfaces and rooms at the five hotels using a kind of washable ink that is only visible under black light. They then checked out and checked back into the same rooms the next day to see if the markings were still there. None of the hotels had cleaned their bathtubs and other lapses such as unchanged sheets were noted, according to landmay. Four of the hotels have issued statements addressing the WeChat post, saying that they are taking action to investigate the allegations. The Hilton did not respond to Chaixin's request for comment. Quote, we take hotel hygiene and cleanliness very seriously, close quote, a W Beijing statement said, echoing the other hotel's responses. The Beijing Health Inspection Bureau is already looking into the issue and will inspect all five-star hotels in the city this week. Gumbe, well... Maybe not Ganbei. China's top insurance regulator is banning booze from all of its offices and subsidiary departments as part of the country's frugality and anti-corruption campaign. All employees of the China Insurance Regulatory Commission are prohibited from drinking alcohol during working hours or at lunchtime, the CIRC said. What a novel idea. Alcohol was also banned from all official receptions and banquets held by the commission and as gifts to officials. Strictly implementing the ban will establish a good image of CIRC staff that is civilized, efficient, honest, and diligent, the commission said. 
the CIRC joined several local authorities in banning booze in line with the central government's campaign since late 2012 to crack down on extravagance and corruption among civil servants. Last month, the government of the southwestern province of Guizhou, the home of China's most famous white liquor, Guizhou Maotai, announced an alcohol ban for all official receptions following Heilongjiang, Jilin, Zhejiang, Anhui, and Jiangsu provinces. At the CIRC, special permission must be obtained to serve alcohol at certain events, such as receiving foreign guests, the commission said. That gurgling sound you're hearing is cadres racing to comply with the impending deadline. Let's turn now to some of Caixin's editors to talk about some of the big stories in this week's news. First up is Purnimo Rirasekara, an editor at Caixin Global. So China's social media this week exploded over a, a really terribly sad story. It's about a woman in Shanxi province, surnamed Ma, who is in a maternity ward about to give birth, and she ended up leaping to her death from the fifth floor of the hospital. Uh, the hospital and the woman's family are each trying to pin blame on the other. The hospital claims that the woman asked for a cesarean section and they recommended one as well because her labor pains were really, really bad. But the family overruled her wishes, according to the hospital, and, and insisted that she go ahead with a natural birth. But the family is saying that the OBGYN wouldn't perform the C-section. Uh, can you clear any of this up? It's still not clear what led to this tragic suicide of a 26-year-old mother who was heavily pregnant. The hospital authorities say and the hospital records show that they have advised Ma and her husband that because the fetus's head was too large, a vaginal birth would have been difficult and that they had asked the family to opt for a C-section, but the family had refused. Whereas the family says after Ma went to the labor room, they weren't given any written documents or a consent form on which to sign to give permission for the surgery. So it's still unclear. The National Health and Family Planning Commission has ordered the local health authority to investigate what really happened. So at this point, we only know that this 26-year-old mother just jumped out of a window from the fifth floor labor room and died. But we have no idea who denied the C-section. Was it the family or was it the hospital itself? So we want to talk about the bigger picture here, but there's really there's so much controversy over how things played out, and just in the in the few minutes leading up to Ma's suicide, it's it's kind of gruesome stuff. Yes, uh, but can you talk about from what what we know from the surveillance video and from 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 staff accounts? So what had transpired just before Ma's death was caught on the hospital CCTV camera. She had walked out of the labor room twice and kneeled down before her family. Now, the husband says she was kneeling because um, she was in too much pain. The hospital says she was begging the family to sign or give approval for a C-section. And uh, the family had refused to communicate with her. But unfortunately, there's no audio on that CCTV footage. So we can't know anything for sure. What transpired at about 8pm is a bit bizarre. She walked into the labor room and she didn't go into the main theater, but walked into a backup operation room, opened the window, and this woman is about 1.6 meters tall, and she climbed up onto a ledge that was 1.2 meters high, and then jumped to her death. Now, Ma's family is asking, how can a woman who's 41 weeks pregnant climb up so high? What were the nurses doing? How come no one was there to see what was happening? And they're also asking, 
why wasn't anyone allowed to accompany Ma in the labor room? Now, this is quite a big problem because in most public hospitals, family members, even the husband, isn't allowed to accompany a woman or be by her side during labor or during the delivery process. And the hospital staff had just, in an official statement, said, well, there were nurses, but there were five other pregnant women at the time trying to give birth and we were all busy. So, was there negligence? Police have ruled out foul play, but is there a case for negligence by the hospital staff? It's too early to tell. Let's talk about how things are changing with with childbirth in China, uh, C-sections versus natural births. I mean, I know that China has had a really high rate of cesarean delivery. Uh, give us a picture of the landscape at present and, and, and where things might be going. So one of the reasons why this case struck a chord is because some people think that C-sections should be a choice given to women. But the problem is, about a decade ago, China had one of the world's highest C-section rates, with the World Health Organization saying that somewhere around 2008, nearly one in two babies were born through this procedure. Now, that's because after the one-child policy kicked in, lots of families started fretting about that only child they could have, and they would be overconscious. And also, C-sections were marketed as simple and painless procedures, which is not necessarily true. With all things being equal, unless there's a major medical emergency like the umbilical cord being, you know, wrapped around a fetus's neck, having a C-section would have a slightly higher risk for the mother as well as the fetus. And now, after the government eased the one-child policy starting in 2013, the government has also been pushing for women to go for natural birth. Because if you have a C-section, you would have a higher chance of having a ruptured uterus or other complications during a second birth. So attitudes have started to change and the National Family Planning Commission has also been pushing public hospitals to only go for a C-section in case of a medical emergency. So you can't really schedule a surgery like, say, in the United States. So in China, you can't just waltz into a hospital pregnant and say, hey, doc, I've decided that I want to deliver this child by cesarean. Not in a public hospital unless you have guanxi with the doctor. But in this case... The hospital says they did recommend a C-section for medical reasons, and the family still refused. Why did the family refuse? Some say that it could be because of the higher cost involved with going for a surgery. But Ma's husband has refused this claim, saying that we are middle class in our village, and the example his family is giving is that we have six cave houses. People actually still live in caves in that region. So you could imagine the kind of infrastructure, the kind of the level of education in this area and uh, the kind of family setup that Ma came from. So he was saying that they have six cave houses to, to, what, to, to suggest that they would have had the means to pay for a C-section and that it wasn't, as some people have alleged, about the additional cost of the procedure, right? That is what he was indicating. So the takeaway here is that China's C-section rate, which was extremely high, as you say, just even you know a few years ago, is now falling and approaching rates in the West. But let's go back to the issue of patient autonomy and, and women's reproductive rights. So what, what's the bigger issue here? Uh, I, I know that it spurred quite a bit of conversation online. So uh, walk us through what some of these issues are. So this case has triggered a heated debate on several fronts. First, lots of netizens are asking, why wasn't the pregnant mother allowed to decide for herself? Because she was fully conscious at the time. Now, the problem in many public hospitals in China is that the family has to give permission. They have to sign a consent form for surgery because they're afraid that if something goes wrong, the patients will sue the hospital. But in this case, especially when it comes to something as personal as childbirth, 
why wasn't the woman allowed to make that decision in accordance with what the doctors were saying? And the second issue is that why aren't more options available for women when it comes to less painful ways of giving birth? And why haven't uh, public hospitals invested more on alternatives like either water birth or even something where you have access to more anesthesia and so on? And the third thing is, why don't public hospitals allow a family member, especially a partner, to accompany you when you're giving birth? Which is very normal in many other parts of the world. Because if there was someone with this woman, maybe they could have stopped her from falling to her death. Well, Purnima, as we said, it's a very sad story, but uh, we, we really do appreciate you coming in to talk to us, and uh, we hope we'll chat again soon. Thanks, Kaiser. Next up is Doug Young, Senior Editor at Saishin Global. So I have an obvious interest in, in this first story you're going to talk about because, you know, it's about one of the big rock bands from back in my day, uh, Black Panther or Kibal. Uh What are they in the news for? Okay, well, this story has got uh, quite a few threads to it, so we'll start off with the very beginning. The thing that started all of this was a one of these viral photos on social media, a band called Black Panther and its drummer, a guy named Zhao Mingyi. The, the band itself was formed in 1987, so they're coming up on the big age of 30, and I'm not sure if this particular photo or this why why he was being interviewed, but I'm I'm guessing it was related to the 30th anniversary because they just did a 30th anniversary concert. It was a photo of him, and and what caught everyone's attention wasn't the fact that he looks decidedly middle aged. You know, he used to have sort of this long wavy hair, very you know like sort of the grunge look, and and so forth. And now he's sort of clean cut, graying little bit of a paunch and so forth. But what caught everybody's attention was the fact that he was holding one of these glass thermoses filled with tea in his hand. And, you know, that won't mean anything for most Westerners, but any of us who've spent time in China know this is sort of like the old geezer thing. It's, it's, a, it's a thing that, that you see the sort of older men carrying around their little flask of tea. Uh, you see taxi drivers often have them. Uh, you know, older men at the gym have them, blah, blah, blah. And it just looks very, very old and, and sort of middle-aged. So anyhow, this got everybody talking about how this rocker who was once the sensation of China and sort of the, you know, at the head of this avant-garde generation in the 1980s and 90s has suddenly sort of become this old-aged, passe, whatever. That's the thing that got this thing going on social media. Then... Of course, a savvy marketing company, which happens to be part of Alibaba, pounced on this, so to speak. And they basically signed a licensing agreement with the rock band and also with the maker of the Thermos, a company called Tiger. And they were able to get these things out. Like within a matter of days, these black sort of commemorative thermoses, and and they were selling them at their at this thirtieth anniversary concert on September second, and they've been selling them on Taobao now, uh, which is Alibaba's uh, one of their big e-commerce platforms. Uh, I think they go for around one hundred ninety nine renminbi, which would be about thirty thirty US per thermos, and. You know, they're making yeah, that. That's why I said in the headlines, a bit of pocket change. I don't think they're going to make a fortune off this, but there's some cute pictures of fans at the at the show, sort of holding up how they'd usually hold up these light wands, but instead they're all holding up these black commemorative thermoses. 
you know, th- this band was back in the spotlight for for a brief time, and and actually the Alibaba unit signed a two year uh, similar merchandise deal with them that's going to go beyond just this thermos and and doing other stuff. So, so basically, they were making fun of of creaky graying rockers with expanding midriffs like me. Uh, but this marketing company, what they they made Hebal momentarily cool again. I think these are some savvy marketers. I think you know people who like the band and and maybe people who don't really didn't know about that era because that's like a, the, the really the earliest era of modern Chinese rock and roll. So you know, I think it probably will spark some interest in that. You know, maybe the band will enjoy a, a brief revival. But uh, I think this is probably more than anything else. Just I, And I've seen this in lots of industries before. When you get something that catches everybody's attention, the public imagination, they, they do what are called these sort of like instant products because they have a very, very short shelf life. Um, I remember I was living in Los Angeles during the big earthquake of 1994. And uh, the LA Times managed to get out a book within like three days or something like that. You know, they, they do these things very quickly because they, they, they're in the public consciousness for a very short time and then they disappear. So like their authors like who specialize in writing these, inst- they call them often call them instant books, uh, you know, just instant products. And you see them at like rock concerts, you know, if there's been something that's sort of been in the headlines recently, they'll, they'll make shirts out of it or, or something like that. So I tend to think this is probably more a flash in the pan because, you know, China doesn't really have as much of a rock and roll history. It's really only 30 years old. And this band was sort of at the at the head of it. And, you know, it's sort of interesting to see that their earliest generation of rock and roll is reaching middle age. You know, it sort of shows that China is starting to, you know, have some history, you know, beyond the, the old socialist era, revolutionary Chairman Mao stuff. Well, I, I'm I'm proud to have been part of that history. Yeah, Kaiser, maybe you guys played with them. Uh, the Black Panther guys were actually really good friends of ours, of mine, um, including Zhao Yi. Uh, their guitarist, Li Tong, was actually one of the first friends that I made in the rock scene in China uh, back in, in 1988. Uh, I played some shows with that band, actually, from with, with Black Panther before I, I stole Ding Wu from them to start Tang Dynasty. Uh, so, D- Doug, the next story I wanted to talk to you about was uh, the rumors about Wang Jianlin, the, the founder and chairman of Wanda, uh, that he was detained or, or prevented from flying. Um, can you fill us in here? Okay. Well, this one goes back about two weeks now, I guess. Uh, and what happened was this, I guess there were some rumors earlier, but nobody really picked up on them. Apparently, two weeks ago, a, a relatively respected sort of political wonky blog based in the States, but Chinese language, so read by a lot of Chinese people, but off offshore for China, called Bo Xun, uh, ran the story saying Wang Jianlin, who's the founder and sort of headman of uh, Wanda, was prevented from leaving China, uh, and basically was detained at Tianjin Airport while getting ready to board some sort of an international flight, I think was the idea. And, of course, the idea being, you know, he's carted off for some sort of corruption and whatever. Um, I think that was the gist of the report. But then after that happened, one of Wanda's publicly traded companies, uh, one of their stocks, took quite a, a beating in Hong Kong. I think it came back a little bit later. But anyhow, Wanda put out a statement vehemently denying it at the time and now just this past week, a couple of days ago, 
um, Wanda announced they're going to be suing not only Boshun, but also about 10 other China-based websites uh, that also picked up on the rumor. Uh, so before we talk more about Wanda, I thought it was really interesting that you can actually, in China, you can actually sue somebody for retweeting, right? I remember when this came out, uh, it was like a couple years ago or three years ago, the Supreme People's Court actually made a determination. Because the thing about China, you got to remember, is the official media are not exactly super trusted. Uh, so a lot of people get their news from social media and, and Twitter. A lot of people say one of the reasons Weibo, which is China's Twitter, has been so successful is because a lot of people use it as their primary source of news. So this was becoming problematic a few years ago because, you know, the fact that so many people are getting their news off of Weibo just sort of opened the door for people to put rumors and, and false information on there. So the, that's the history. And then two, three years ago, the Supreme People's Court made sort of a benchmark for because they, they, they determined they, they made a law that said spreading rumors is illegal. But then how do you define as somebody who puts up a rumor that nobody reads? Are they guilty of illegal behavior? So they made this determination that someone was in violation of the law if false report that was put on the internet got at least 5,000 clicks or was reposted at least 500 times. So that was the basis for these lawsuits by Wanda was that these 10 companies in China and then Boshun had gotten at least 5,000 clicks or the article that they posted had been reposted at least 500 times. So why would people be apt to believe the story in the first place and, and why would it take root? And, and really, what's the bigger story here for Wang Jianlin and, and for his company, Wanda? Well, I think people believe this story because this is actually part of a bigger trend that's happening now. And, and the bigger trend is people like Wang and a few others have been making these really blockbuster acquisitions overseas lately. And a lot of them are in sort of areas that you might consider frivolous. Beijing certainly considers them frivolous. There are, a lot of them are sports teams. Hollywood studios, you know, just very glitzy, entertainment, flashy sort of things. You know, China likes it when people buy iron ore mines and heavy industrial robotic firms and things like that, you know, things that can sort of be used to build up the country, whereas these purchases of, you know, sports teams and entertainment studios and movie theaters were seen as sort of frivolous. So Wang Jianlin is is one of the wealthiest guys in China. He's he's usually up there in the top five. And uh, he had been one who had really been heavy-duty buying into the entertainment scene. He had bought uh, Legendary Entertainment, which is a big Hollywood studio. Uh, he had also bought AMC, the theater chain in the U.S. He bought the Odeon theater chain in Europe. And I, I think they have some places in the U.S. as well. So he was buying up a lot. He bought a big sports marketing firm in uh, Switzerland. So anyhow, China is sort of cracking down on these guys. And, and in some cases, cracking down means taking a closer look at what's the source of their funds. Are they moving money offshore illegally? Are they getting you know money that they shouldn't have and so forth? So there was the earlier case this year where the, the chairman of Anbang, the founder of Anbang, the big insurance company, just suddenly disappeared, and, and the company put out a statement saying, we haven't been able to locate him. But 
obviously the the implication is that he's being detained and probably under some sort of investigation. And Ambang was again another company that was making a lot of these big purchases. Their one of their biggest was Hilton. The then not the whole company, but they bought like ten or twenty percent of the company. So this was this was you know obviously the 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 ground was quite fertile for this kind of news and and you know people were more than willing to believe it once it came because it's sort of logical in the current climate and that's why this rumor was able to take hold so quickly and and why Wanda had to be so vehement and and showing that it wasn't true and you know this series of lawsuits is really more symbolic than anything else they're they're obviously not going to get any meaningful money out of them and and part of the lawsuits was they want a public apology and they put all sorts of things about rumor mongering and stopping this kind of rumor spreading in in their announcement well Doug pleasure as always and we will see you next week yeah okay see you next week Kaiser that's this week's show thanks for joining us drop me an email at kaiser at subchina.com with your feedback the Caixin Seneca Business Brief is powered by SubChina and produced, recorded, and edited by Kaiser Guo with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. Special thanks to Li Xin and Tanner Brown of Caixin Global and to Spring and Autumn and Wu Fei for the music. Be sure to check out the Seneca Podcast, the current affairs show that I host with Jeremy Goldcorn, and follow the news from China every day at SubChina. Sign up for our free email newsletter at subchina.com. Take care. <laughs>